Next on Contemplate. If you can show contentment in your life, even when you're going through that which is difficult, you have no idea the power of that witness in the life of other people. No idea what it could do to make them want to come to know Jesus Christ. That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington, and this is Contemplate. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Thanks for joining us today for part 11 in our series, Contentment in Christ. Giving your life to Jesus is the most amazing thing that can ever happen. It really changes everything. And through some personal accounts and, of course, God's Word, Pastor David is going to show us how earth-shaking that transformation can be. Another great lesson is on the way, so please get out your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 16, verse 26, as we join Pastor David with today's episode, recorded live at Acts Church. Acts is a book in the New Testament of the Bible, and it's, it's basically a history. It was written by a guy named Luke. If you're new, I'm just going to give you kind of a background of what's going on. Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. Uh, he, was a, he was a companion of the Apostle Paul, if you've heard of him, and who was a guy who went around and, and really was kind of the, the first big-time missionary that the Lord worked through to build the church up. These, they went around and they were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and to the gospel of salvation. And they went all over the place and Acts sort of details that in, in great detail. It's a wonderful historical document, even outside of it being a spiritual thing. It's a great historical document. It gives you all kinds of information, times, places, what happened, this happened first, this happened next. It's written uh, in a way that we can understand it. And it has uh, multiple uses for us as a church. It tells us about what the church is supposed to look like. It tells us maybe what the church is not supposed to look like sometimes. And so we've talked about what's descriptive and what's prescriptive. Descriptive is simply saying, this is what happened. This thing happened. But not necessarily that you should do that. Then there's things that are in here that are descriptive that are clearly also prescriptive. In other words, this is what happened and you should do likewise. You should do the same thing. This is how we should be. And so as we parse through this book, we look for those things. What's descriptive? What's prescriptive? And we found a lot of things that are prescriptive. And I think it's helped to shape a lot of the way that we view church. A lot of the way that we view what the Lord is doing and how he grows his church and how he, and how he works in people's lives because we've seen how it has been since the beginning. And the book of Acts is basically continuing to this day because it's really the story of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the church. And so uh, as we go through this, um, uh, there's a lot that we've been through, so I'm not going to do a full um, catch up on everything. I'll tell you where we are now. We're in Philippi, Paul and Silas. And Timothy and Luke, the author of Acts, who is not always present in the, in the history that he's giving, but in this case he is present, are in the city of Philippi. And they've, they've been through some adventures, one of which was there was this girl that was following them around, um, and she was possessed uh, by a spirit, and she was basically yelling at them, saying, hey, these guys are are servants of the Most High God and proclaiming the way to salvation. She's basically making fun of them, causing trouble and so on. Um, eventually, Paul, uh, after many days of this, Paul, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, cast this spirit out of her. Um, the people who she was a slave and the people who owned her got really upset about that because their money-making was gone because this girl wasn't possessed by the spirit anymore. And so they brought them um, uh, to the magistrates. These guys um, had them beat down severely and thrown into prison. And we left last time. Paul and Silas are in prison. 
They're in basically stocks, uh, locked down, severely, severely beaten. And at about midnight, they're singing hymns to God and praying. This was their reaction to this moment. We talked about how they had a contentedness that was not dependent on their circumstances. And so that's where we left. And they were singing. And the others in the prison were listening. They were listening. They were taking note of what Paul and Silas were doing. And so we're now in verse 26 of chapter 16, and we'll start there. It says this, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. So, um, pretty big event here. Now, this wasn't uncommon in this area for earthquakes to happen. It's not even necessarily uncommon now, and it certainly was not uncommon then. But there's this earthquake. It shakes things up, and their chains get loosened, and the doors come open, uh, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, what I noticed, the first thing I noticed about this, and it's a little bit of an aside, but what I noticed about this description is that it's, it's such a, a, an active and, and interesting description of what it's like when Christ gets a hold of your life. If you, if you look at it as a metaphor, it's not a metaphor, this is historical, we'll get back to that, but if you look at it as a metaphor, it so accurately describes what it was like for me when the Lord got a hold of me. It was, it was earth-shattering. It shook me up. The Lord took me and he shook me up. He completely uh, changed my view of reality. He showed me things about who I was. He showed me things about what my uh, destiny looked like outside of him. There was, uh, it, was, it was like it was shaken, and it says, you know, the foundations of the prison were shaken. The chains were loose, and they were, and they were free, right? They were, there was freedom there. And that's what it's like. That's what it's like coming to the Lord. It's like you realize finally that you've been sitting in a prison. You thought you were in control, and you thought you had it all figured out, and the Lord sort of twists your reality upside down, and you recognize that you're in a prison, but at the same time, he offers that earth-shattering earthquake that, that loosens the chains and sets you free. And it's like that for me, not just when I came to the Lord originally, but it's been like that for me over and over and over through my relationship with him as he set me free from thing after thing after thing. Because it's not like you come to know the Lord and everything becomes perfect. For those of you who are hoping that was the case, I'm sorry to tell you, actually, I'm not sorry to tell you, because it's a blessing and a joy to go through as the Lord releases you more and more and more to give yourself fully to him. As, as the sin in your life and the things that you, that you struggle with and so on, as he, as he comes and shakes all those things up one at a time, it's so like this description. And so I just wanted to point that out because that's what hit me when I read that verse, right? That was what it was like to come to know Jesus and get a life in Christ. So, um, so they, they shake him up and they, uh, their chains are loose. The doors are all open. And let's look at, at what happens next. Um, before, before I read this verse, I, I also want to mention this, because it's really connected to the last time we talked in Acts. Remember the contentedness that we talked about. Paul and Silas were content in chains, in pain, in all those things. And, and, and it was when they were content that the Lord actually got them their freedom, that he took them to the next thing. I, I don't know how often it is for you, but for me, oftentimes, I'm looking forward to the next thing, and I'm thinking, Lord, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? If, I just, if, if this could just happen, even good things, even spiritual things, even, even seeing people come to the Lord, whatever. Lord, when is this next thing going to happen? When is this next thing going to happen? And not taking the time to sit and just be content where I am. And sometimes I think we got to be sitting content where we are before he's going to do the next thing. we got to show that we're good with him, period, that he's enough all the time before he's going to give us that next thing. Because he doesn't want us to make that next thing 
our Savior instead of him. And so I just want to mention that Paul and Silas were content prior to this thing. They weren't saying, I'm so angry, Lord, I'm so mad, why am I here? Please get me out of here, please get me out of here. Not that there would be anything wrong with that. I'm sure in their hearts they were wanting to get out of prison. But they were content, and they showed that by their actions, and then God worked in this way. So let's look at the next verse. Is verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Okay. The prison keeper, he's chilling, right? These guys are locked up in chains inside the inner prison. Okay, he's not worried about it. They're not getting out. People don't get out of that situation is what he's thinking. And so because of that, he's sleeping. He's sleeping, but but here's the problem for him. See, the thing is, if somebody does escape from prison, from a Roman prison, the prison keeper is subject to whatever the penalty was that those people were going to get. And so if you lost your prisoners, and any of them were sentenced to death, and this is Rome in the first century, believed that some of these people were sentenced to death, he knows it's going to go down bad for him if they escape. But they're so locked tight that he's not worried about it. He's not worried about it. He's just sleeping. Now, I don't know how many people work as a prison guard today if that was the punishment, right? Um, that, that seems like not the job you want to have uh, as a prison guard because if things go bad, it's not good. But this earthquake happens. This guy wakes up. He sees the prison doors are open. He realizes it's over for him. He assumes that everyone has left. The doors are open. They're free to go. There's no reason that they would stay. Why would he assume that they would leave? Because when you're in prison and you have a sentence and all of a sudden your chains are loose and the doors are open, you run. Right? That's what people do. That's human nature. This is what he knows. And so he knows it's curtains. He's done. He doesn't want to go down like that. The Romans were not particularly compassionate when it came to executing people. And so he thought he'd just take care of that himself now rather than go through that whole thing. So he draws his sword out to kill himself. Let's see what happens next. Verse 28. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Paul yells at him, Hey, nobody left. We're all here. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't kill yourself. He's probably yelling loud because this guy's probably about to go through with this thing. And they're all there still. Now, why? Why are they all there? This is, this is interesting to me, and I, and I thought a lot, and I tried to do some research on what other people had said about why all these prisoners were there, and I didn't find much um, in, in, in the research out there. But why were they all there? I understand why Paul and Silas would be there. They're going to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and clearly there is something, as we'll see in the rest of the story, that was about to happen here. And so the Holy Spirit said, stay. And they trusted him. And so I see why Paul and Silas were there. But these other guys, some of whom were probably sentenced to death, their chains are loosened, right? It said that all of them, everyone's chains were loosed. Why didn't they run? The doors were open. Why didn't they run? Now, the text doesn't tell us. The text doesn't tell us. But I have an idea of why they might have. And again, this is, this, these are just my thoughts based on what I know of the Word and what I know of, of the way the Holy Spirit works and so on. But here's what I think. I think these guys didn't run because what Paul and Silas had done in that prison, the Lord used that to touch the hearts of these people in this prison to such an extent that they had to hear more. They had to hear more about Jesus. They knew that they could be free from prison, but like all of us, we know that we're not free inside. We know that we're not free spiritually. 
And so they're thinking, what, if I could be happy like these guys are, if I could be content like these guys are in chains and beaten, I'd rather have that than just to go free. Because there's probably some reason I'm here in the first place. Maybe I didn't have everything all figured out. And so I don't care what I've done or what my sentence is. I'm willing to risk it all to hear more about Jesus. I think that's what happened. Otherwise, they're gone. They're gone, right? But the Lord had used the testimony and the witness of Paul and Silas in this way, which goes to what we talked about in the last one. If you can show contentment in your life, even when you're going through that which is difficult, you have no idea the power of that witness in the life of other people. No idea what it could do to make them want to come to know Jesus Christ. And so keep that in mind. Now that's what I think happened. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that Paul and Silas had shown them that, that the power of the Holy Spirit was sufficient to give contentment even to two men who were serving God and as a result of serving God were beaten severely and put in prison that they could still be content in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that that was something that was contagious and that these people wanted to know more about it. All right. Let's go on to the next verse and see what happens. We're in verse 29. Then he called for a light, this is the prison keeper, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. So it's dark in there, right? Or in the inner prison, it's about midnight, we know that. He's got to get a light to go in there and see these guys. He gets this light, he runs in, and he falls down trembling. Now, why is he trembling? He's probably because he was about to kill himself, and that's probably a little, it'll shake you up a little bit when you're about to stab yourself with a sword, I'm guessing. Never tried it, um, but I'm, I'm guessing I'd be trembling a little bit. But I think he's also trembling because his world has just been shaken. His world has just been shaken in a dramatic way because the things he thought he knew about reality, about the way people acted, about all of these things have been turned upside down as he realizes that these people are still there. And so he's there and he's trembling. Um, Let's, let's look at the next verse, because that'll, that'll help us work through this part. It says, and he brought them out. He brought them out of the prison, okay? So he goes in with the light. He brings these guys out. Now they're standing here. And then he asks this question, this powerful question. He says to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? The trembling man whose world has been turned upside down, the earthquake shook more than the ground. It shook this guy to his core. And now he's asking them, what must I do to be saved? He's broken. He's broken before the Lord. He realizes his need for salvation. Now, um, I realize this guy's just been near death. And that if you're that close to death, you're probably thinking some things like, what's going to happen when this sword hits its mark and I stop breathing? Those are thoughts that are probably going through his head. He probably realizes in that moment that maybe he doesn't have everything figured out. And then, and then we have the testimony of Paul and Silas. And I don't know how much he knows about Jesus at this point. But there are some indications in the text that he probably knows something. First of all, we, we have the fact that Paul and Silas are singing hymns and praying. I don't know how much of that he heard. Maybe they had been um, witnessing the gospel to the other prisoners there. Maybe he heard some of that. We don't know. Maybe he heard them preaching in Philippi at some point. Remember, they had been around. They'd been going around preaching Jesus. But... Remember that this girl who had been possessed by the Spirit had been walking around saying, she'd been saying something very specific that's related to his question. She said, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And whatever else he had heard, he probably knew why they were there. He had probably heard this story. And so 
he knew at some level that these guys had answers. These guys had answers. There was something so different about them, and so he asked them. He asked them. And every person here who's a follower of Christ has a story like this, some kind of a story. And it may, they're all different, and they take place over different amounts of time, and they have different circumstances, but in a certain way, they're all the same, which is that for those who become Christ followers, who end up seeing the truth of Christ and become Christ followers, their world at some point has had to be shaken up. Their perception of reality and the things they believe had to be put in a different way because if they were able to stay in the way they were thinking, they never would have followed Christ. But something had to happen. Something had to change them. I have a story about how that happened to me, but I'm actually going to tell you a story about a couple of my friends uh, that I have and how it happened for them. And this is going to be different than yours, but in, in a certain way, they're all the same. And, and of course, my prayer is, is that for those of you, if you don't know Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ, that he would shake you up in this way. The fact that you're here now suggests that he's drawing you to himself and that this is probably on its way for you if you have not already become a follower of Christ. But let me tell you about a couple guys. One guy's name is Charlie, good friend of mine. Good looking guy, super like buff, ripped, athlete, um, just a, you know, kind of a partier, kind of the, I mean, the guy knows everybody. Just friends with everybody, knew everybody in town and in almost every other town. Crazy how many people don't go to Walmart with this guy because you'll never get out because he knows everybody and he likes to talk to everybody. And so Charlie was a super popular guy and he, and he did his thing and, and his thing was he knew everybody, did a lot of partying and drinking and smoking weed and, and kind of living that life and kind of fun all the time and, and, and you know, living sort of that life that everybody says is the one that everybody wants. Good job, you know, ha, you know had a family, all, all this stuff, and, and doing his thing. And what happened was, is that Charlie got so used to this, that this is the way that he thought that everybody lived, and this is the only way that he saw life. And then he met a guy, another friend of mine named Rusty. And Rusty and Charlie would play ball together, play basketball and things like that together. Um, and then Rusty invited Charlie, not to church necessarily, but to his small group, okay, to their life group. And Charlie starts coming to, just because he's buddies with Rusty, he starts coming. And he starts, his world starts to get a little jacked with. Because what he sees is all these people who are hanging out and having fun. And somehow they're able to do it without being high and drunk. Somehow they're able to do it without an F-bomb every other word. Um, somehow they're able to, to live in this way that's so different than everything he's used to. And yet they're more joyful, more peaceful than anybody else. Than all these people that he's going around doing the things that are supposed to be the best things to do and the best way to live. He's got the best of everything. And yet these people are living this humble life, loving one another, and not having to do all those things in order to enjoy life. So Charlie's driving home from that group one day. And I don't know how, close, how far away he gets, but the Lord just brings it to his mind. Hey, Charlie, Charlie, you're going to die. Someday you're going to die. Maybe today. And, I mean, Charlie just, he turned around. He went right back to the house, talked to Rusty, and basically said this. What must I do to be saved? I recognize that everything I think about the world and everything I think about life is wrong. That I'm not smarter than God. That I can't do whatever I want. That this life that I'm leading is leading nowhere but to death. And I want to know Jesus. And Charlie came to the Lord, and, and, and I see the similarities in this guy, in Charlie, and in this Philippian jailer. One more story. A good friend of mine, he was 
Very smart guy. Um, also, great athlete. He's you know, very, very popular. Also, just one of these guys who knows everybody. Everything's going well. Gr- grew up in the church. Had a godly mother who prayed for him all the time. Uh, actually felt called to be a preacher when he was young. And he even did a little bit of preaching like as a teenager uh, in these Baptist churches in East Tennessee. Uh, and he had sort of grown up that way, but it had never been apparently real in a significant way that changed his life with the kind of significance that you need as a Christ follower. And something bad happened. He had an aunt uh, who was very, very, very close to him. I mean, just imagine the people in your life that are the very closest to you. And she got cancer and she died. And when that happened, he was so broken and angry and mad at God that he left all of that. And he went down a road and just started spiraling down and down and down, chasing all the things that culture tells you are worth chasing. And I'm not going to go through all all of those things, but he went through a lot of things, okay? Um, As he's going down this road, he finally comes to this conclusion. Okay, he's never been to the West Coast, but this is what he thinks. I think you might find this interesting. He says to himself, I'm just going to go to Oregon and find some commune and smoke weed until I die. This is what people on the East Coast think is going on out here, right? That we're just in a bunch of communes smoking weed until we die. Like, that's, the, that's what they think. So congratulations. Uh, Northwest culture has definitely shown itself um, to be something to be admired. In any case, that's what he says to himself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out to Oregon. Of course, he wouldn't say Oregon because they're from Tennessee and they don't say it right. So I'm, we're going to go out to Oregon. And I'm, gonna, and I'm just basically going to do drugs, smoke weed, and die. Because I'm over it. There is no God right? There's no, there, none of that's true. Nothing's real. I'm angry and so on. He said, before I do that, his mom had been praying for him, and I think she had sent him a letter uh, that just talking about how she'd always pray that he would know the Lord. So before I do that, I think just out of respect to his mother, I'm going to give, I'm going to read through the Gospels one time so that I can finally be like, okay, I rejected this and I'm done. And as he goes through the stories and he's reading through the Gospels, there comes a moment where the Lord just shows him, reveals to him the truth, just reveals to him the truth, and he drops to his knees and says, Jesus is the Son of God. When the Lord gets a hold of you in that way, it is earth-shattering. It's life-changing. And this guy, both of these guys, are faithful Christ followers to this day. And in both these cases, these things happened a long time ago, and they've continued to follow the Lord faithfully because he got a hold of them in this kind of a way. He shook them up. He changed their reality. He changed their life. A guy, in both cases, guys who were basically going straight to hell and wanting to go there. Found love and peace and joy and fulfillment in Christ because he shook their lives so much. And both of them have been a great blessing to me. And hopefully I've been a blessing to them. And I have a story that's similar to that. And I hope, I hope that you all can point to that in your life. Now, not not for everybody is it going to be this dramatic, like, boom, right at once. There are people who it has to go, uh, there's a ways, right? There's a path and there's a process. And of course, there was a process and a path. God was working in the hearts of these men and has worked in your heart. Some people need more evidence before they can get past certain things so they can really consider Christ. Some people need to see less hypocrisy or they need to see the way the Lord works in other people. Whatever it is, You've come to the Lord somehow. He's changed your perception of reality somehow if you're a Christ follower. And if you're not, he can do that for you too. Let's see what happens with this guy. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they answered him very simply. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot going on in that small sentence. There's a lot going on there. They're not saying so that we're clear. Believe in Jesus. Like believe that he existed or even that he rose from the dead or whatever. They're saying believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word Lord has implications that explode through that sentence. The gospel in one sentence as it is here. You've been listening to Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. And this is Contemplate. I sure loved hearing those stories of how Pastor David's friends came to know Jesus. It's always so inspiring to see how God moves in the lives of people to shake things up and bring them to Him. And now, here's a special invitation. Thanks, Ron. This is Pastor David, and I'd like to invite you to join us this Sunday morning at Acts Church. We have great worship, great people, and I really hope to meet you this Sunday. Get directions and all the info you need at axcamus.org. That's axcamus.org. Or call 360-885-9000. That's 360-885-9000. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Thanks for being here. I hope you'll join us next time when Pastor David continues to teach us about new life in Christ and the real joy that's the result. That's right here with Pastor David Robinson on Contemplate.